Okay, Eric, I have no idea why you did that, but uh, that was nice. That's good. Isn't that a great video? Uh, and thank you all for joining Eric because it took a while for everybody to, to, to join in there. Uh, if you would, follow Miss Corrine for Children's Church. Uh, at this time, we'd like to dismiss you for that. Uh, we've been in this little series on uh, knowing God's will. And, uh, you know, sometimes we do have a hard time um, understanding not just God but other, other people. I, uh, I heard about this, this lady, uh, local, Miss Jansen. She came to her, her lawyer and said, I, I want a divorce from my husband. And he said, well, what, what? Do you have grounds? And she said, well, yeah, I've got a house in Georgetown and, and a home in Colorado. And the lawyer said, well, what I mean is, do, do, you, have a, are you, do you have a grudge or something? And she said, well, no, but on one of the homes we have a carport out front. And the lawyer says, oh, wait, does he beat you up or something? Is that why you want a divorce? And she said, no, no, I beat him up every Monday morning. I'm always out of bed before he is. And uh, and then she, the lawyer says, oh, wait, wait, I just want to know, why are you wanting to leave your husband? And she said, well, because I talk to him all the time, and it's like he never understands a word I say. Sometimes we have communication problems. There's breakdowns. Husbands don't understand wives. Friends don't understand friends. We don't know what the neighbors are thinking. Even though we think we've had a conversation, you sometimes walk away from a conversation. You kind of feel like, I, I thought I knew what you said, but you must have said something other than what I said. And, and, and then that kind of problem, we think, gets magnified in our heads when it comes to God because we think, if I can't even understand the person to whom I'm married or the person across the street or my own children or my own parents, then what makes me think that I could ever know God's will. And the overarching thesis of this whole series here on knowing God's will is maybe we've made this thing called knowing God's will much more complicated than it needs to be. Maybe, just maybe, you can at night lay your head down on your pillow and rest with a confidence that you are in God's will. And and I know for some of us, we're excited about this series because you're at a crossroads moment. You're at a fork in the road moment and you're just kind of wondering how in the world am I going to know what God wants me to do? Is it, is it him or him or her or her or, or do I leave this job and go to this other job? Cause I'm thinking, do I stay here in Texas and move to California? Which I'm just going to tell you right now, no. But if you're, if you're thinking, you know, who, who do I vote for in the next election or whatever the case is, I'm just telling you, I'm not going to give you this morning the gift of clairvoyance. God is, it's not anywhere in my notes that you're supposed to stop investing in that and put your money in Tesla or, you know, take it out of Tesla and put it in precious metals or that's just, none of those specifics are in my notes. You're not going to gain clairvoyance as some sort of spiritual gift through this series. But I do know that you can know enough about how to know God's will that you can relax, that you can rest, that you can be assured that you are doing what God wants you to do where God wants you to do it. It's not this complicated. So last week we began by laying out some foundational principles. And these are not, I wouldn't say these are necessarily more important than everything else, but I would just say there's a priority to things. You can't say about your house that the foundation's more important than the walls or that the roof is more important than the walls or the foundation. It's all important. You don't have a house if you don't have the whole of it, but there's a priority to things. If, If your foundation isn't right, nothing else is going to hold together. 
What we've been doing is covering first principles, foundational principles. And I'm telling you, if you don't get these foundational principles right, you will not get knowing God's will right. You just, you just won't. It's not possible. So let me just kind of review a little bit of what we covered last week. We covered two basic foundational principles. And the first one is God's will is more about who we are than, than where we go. It's more about who we are than, than where we are. That is to say, whenever God's will occurs in the Scripture, almost always it has something to do with your character, with being remade into, to, into God's image in Christ Jesus. Because if you are the wrong person in the right place, it's all going to be wrong. There is no right place for the wrong person. God's will, first and foremost, has to do with who you are, who he would have you to be, your character, your integrity, your Christ-likeness. Number two, God longs for us to long for him more than we long for his answers to our questions. That is to say, God doesn't want to stand at the intersection of our lives like a traffic cop and we have a question and he says, go over here, go over here, and then we just leave him behind and we just go and do the thing and we don't see him again until we have other questions. God doesn't want to be a means to an end. He wants to be the end in and of himself because he's not just the, the person who's greeting you at the Walmart entrance. He's the lover of your soul. He's, he's your groom. He's your, he's your, your firstborn brother among many. He's the older brother. He, he's family. He longs for you to long for him more than, the, than your answers. And if you're longing for the answers more than you're longing for him, you're treating him as a means to an end rather than an end in of himself. And, and you're going to miss it. God's, God is not going to, to tolerate that kind of approach toward him. So you will actually be frustrating yourself because you're relating to God in an inappropriate way. Okay, That's pretty much what we covered. Now that brings us to the third principle. And the third foundational principle, we're going to spend some time on this morning. In fact, the whole of the rest of this morning. We're going to spend on this, and that is our primary role is to follow God's will for our lives, not to find God's will for our lives. Now, I'm going to say that again because I know that kind of threw some of you. Our primary role is not to find God's will for our lives. It's to follow God's will for our lives. Now, some of you are thinking, well, aren't there passages in the Bible that talk about seeking for God's will or, or try to find God's will and all the rest? And yeah, yeah itty-bitty parts, but those are commonly misinterpreted. What the, what the Bible communicates most clearly is that when it comes to understanding God's will, God has communicated His will, or He does communicate His will with incredible clarity, and our call is to submit to God's will. It's not to find it, it's to follow it. It's to submit, it, it's to be obedient to what it is that God has revealed to us. You see, when it comes to hearing God, knowing His will, obedience, all of these things are absolutely thoroughly intertwined. And you see this in the Hebrew language in a way that you don't see in the English because in the Hebrew, the word for obey and the word to hear are one and the same. They're mixed up together. A lot of times when it talks about hearing from God, it's obeying God. A lot of times when it's obeying God, it's hearing God because in the Hebraic mindset, that's the most important thing is to be in the right position or posture so as to know God's will because if you're following God's will, he's going to make his will known to you. Let me, let's, let's kind of get into this. Let me give you a very clear passage on this. Let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. The passage is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this, why? And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Okay, now, based on what we just read, 
Whose responsibility is it to fill you with the understanding of God's will? Is it your responsibility or is it God's responsibility? God's. Okay. Why is it that Paul and his companions are praying that we would be filled with the understanding of the knowledge of God's will? So that we will obey. So that we will do what it is that God wants us to do. So that we would please him in every way. It's pretty simple. Now, here's the question that arises from this passage, and that is, since the end result of knowing God's will is to do God's will, if you don't want to do God's will, then why would God reveal it to you? I mean, if the end goal is doing it, if the end goal is obedience, if the end goal is pleasing God, if the end goal is glorifying God, and you don't want to glorify God, why would he even reveal it to you? Now, there's a there's an interesting proverb. It's pro, There's lots of proverbs along these lines, but if you want to look it up, Proverbs 23, verse 9, it talks about don't speak to a fool. Don't speak to a fool. Why? Because they will despise the wisdom of your words. Now, in the first service, I quoted that, and uh, one of the ladies who works in the Children's Day Center said, yeah, that is so true, you know, because if you've ever wasted your breath trying to correct somebody, you know, You really shouldn't be speaking to a fool because all they're going to do is walk away thinking that they kind of won or they despise the wisdom of your words and don't even give them that. Don't do it. Well, that probably applies to God too. Who's the fool? Biblically speaking, a fool is not someone who is intellectually incapable or just intellectually dumb. It's the person who is morally or spiritually off, morally or spiritually wrongheaded so to speak. The person who is the fool is the person who says, I'm going to do life my own way. I'm going to do what seems best to me. And, and so if God ever does say anything, I'll, I'll listen to his advice. I'll, you know, I'll give him the time of day, I suppose. But for the fool, when God speaks, it's always only as a counselor, not as a king. It's always only as a consultant, not as a sovereign. So if God speaks to the fool, the fool says, well, I'll take that under consideration. If that makes sense to me, then I'll do it. Well, then you're not obeying, are you? You're doing what you want to do, and he's just a consultant to you. You're God, he's not. He's been put in a different place. God will not relate to us as long as we demand that he's the fool and we're the wise one. He will not relate to us as if we're the king and he's the consultant. He won't encourage that. So if you don't want to obey, you're not in a position where your heart is listening. If you don't want to obey, you're not going to follow anyway. So why would God even speak? And if he did speak, you wouldn't even understand it. Because fundamentally, foundationally, you would be a fool. And I don't mean to be unkind about it, but this is why oftentimes people don't actually hear from the Lord and they think they've heard from the Lord because fundamentally they're not following. They're not obedient. That's why they don't hear. Now, there are passages. that make sense to you? I think it's a a rather simple concept. Our obligation is to follow. It's not to find. Because if you are a follower, God's going to make sure that you know what it is that you need to do. If you're a follower, he will take you where you need to go. Because you're a follower. If you're not a follower, why would he reveal his will? You ain't going anywhere anyways except to make God seem like the fool for not following his own advice to not speak to the fool. 
Now, there are passages in the Bible where people say, well, but isn't God's will sort of a mystery that we have to decode, you know, you know, figure it out with some sort of, I don't know, manipulation? One passage like this that comes to mind is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And people say, now, doesn't that mean that you've got to be extra wise in order to understand or in order to figure out what it is that God wants? That's not what's going on in the passage at all. If you look at other places in Ephesians, it makes it plain that God makes his plain, his will plain and revealed to those who believe and to those who follow after him. For example, let's go back to chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 7. In him, the Bible says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And it's a grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. How much wisdom? All wisdom. With all wisdom and with all understanding. How much wisdom, how much understanding does God lavish on us by his grace and his grace? All wisdom, all knowledge. He's completely transparent to those who are his followers. He tells us exactly what it is that we need to know when we need to know it. Verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery. It used to be a mystery, but it's not a mystery anymore. He made known to us what was formerly concealed. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Is God's will still a mystery? No. Is everything still concealed? No. It's actually been revealed in Jesus Christ. He doesn't keep things hidden. This is why when you go to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17, here's how you need to read it. Again, Paul says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is not like, hey, don't be foolish, figure things out. He's doing a contrast. Don't be foolish over here but understand what the Lord's will is. If you're foolish, you're not going to understand the Lord's will. You know why? Because I just explained this. Because if you're foolish, you're not in the right position. If you're foolish, you say, well, my will be done, not thine, and I'll take whatever you say under under consultation. I'll, I'll uh, you know, maybe, you know, listen to you, and if it makes sense to me, then I'm going to do it. You're fundamentally a fool. You can't understand what the will of God is because you're fundamentally a fool. You can't hear from the Lord because over here, you're fundamentally disobedient. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You want to understand what the Lord's will is? Don't be foolish. Be a follower. It, 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 all, it all absolutely, thoroughly fits together. Now, again, I just go, well, why are we making this so complicated? It shouldn't be that complicated. Because if I'm a follower, of course, he's going to let me know what it is that I need to do in order to be what I need to be or be where I need to be. Of course, he's going to let me know. Because if I don't believe that, here's what I believe about God. I believe about God if I think I've got to figure out his will. Let's say if I'm looking for a needle in a haystack. What I'm thinking about God is God is holding out on me. He doesn't lavish all of his grace and all of his goodness and all wisdom and understanding on me. God is holding out on me. That was the original lie of the devil in the beginning. If you say, well, I've got to find God's will. Like I've got, got to figure it out because he's holding out on me and he's kind of hiding from me and I'm just not, not going to know. You know what you're saying about God? You're saying i got to just pull his hand open against his will so I can get what it is that I really need to know from God. How many of y'all have ever seen uh, the Charlton Heston moment where he's like, and I'm not, I'm not endorsing this, although you know, maybe I, I think it's pretty cool. There's this moment where Charlton Heston is at this National Rifleman's Association and he holds up the rifle and he says, you'll have to pry it from my dead cold hands. And everybody stands and cheers or whatever. It's like he's, he's saying, you ain't taking this gun away from me, Mr. Gore. That's how he does it. Well, you know, do you think God is standing up here going, I've got a perfect will for your life, but you've got to take it from my cold, dead hands? Well, no. I've got a perfect will for your life, but I've hidden it 
And you're going to have to get a microscope. Or you're going to have to get like a, you know, Sherlock Holmes, you know, little magnifying glass. And you're going to have to dig for it. And you're going to have to do all sorts of manipulations with license plates, reading things backwards. And then you're going to figure it out. Because I don't want you to know what you need to know so as to do my will. Is that the kind of God that we serve? No! We say, well, now that you put it that way, yeah. Our, our primary call is to follow God, follow His will, not to find His will. Let me give you a real clear passage on this. This is over in uh, John chapter 10 in verses 7 through 12. Jesus is talking about Himself as being the good shepherd. Which, by the way, the good shepherd in the Old Testament, everybody knew in the Old Testament who the good shepherd was. It was Yahweh. It was Almighty God. Nobody ever claimed to be the good shepherd because that title was already taken. So when Jesus in the New Testament says, I am the good shepherd, what do you think he's doing? He's equating himself with God in a way that nobody ever would. I just want to point that out. There are so many ways where Jesus equates himself with God and it just kind of goes under the radar. This is not one of those. He's saying, I'm the good shepherd. Like, what? But he's also in this metaphor or this word picture communicating how it is that he leads you and me through life. He, he says in verse 27, this is the one you need to really hold on to. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. See, here's how it works with the shepherd. Back in the day, the shepherd didn't stand on the hill and yell at the sheep, Hey, over there! Over there! Go that way! And the sheep went, oh, Okay, and then they just move over in that direction without the shepherd. In fact, the shepherd didn't even just give verbal instructions. You, you know, you go to the end of Austin Avenue, you turn left at the Starbucks, and then you turn right onto the highway. Like, here's how it worked. The shepherd would lead the sheep with his voice. The shepherd would go ahead of the sheep. Speaking, sometimes even singing, because wherever the sheep went, they went behind the personal presence of the shepherd. That's the way it works. God never leads us anywhere where he is not personally, relationally present in our lives. We follow him because here's how it works with sheep. Sheep have really, really good hearing. They have terrible eyesight. They can hear things on the frequency spectrum that we can't hear, and they can actually, like, physically turn their ears in different directions so as to magnify the sound. The shepherd speaks, sings, talks, and the sheep follow, because wherever the sheep happen to go, if they're following him, the shepherd is actually personally present going before the people. That's how it is with you and me. God does not stand at the intersection of our lives like a traffic cop or doesn't, he doesn't. Have you ever seen those guys out there? I don't even know if this happens anymore. It's been so, such a long time since I sat close enough to the front of the plane where, you know, you've got these air traffic guys on the ground and they've got the little batons and they're just standing there. They're not saying anything. They're doing this. I like, come, you know, slow down, go this way, go that way and all the rest. That's not how Jesus stepped. He's not there kind of directing traffic. And then you take off and hopefully you don't die in the flight. He's actually the pilot of the plane. He's actually with you on the journey. This is how it works. Let me make it really plain to you again. Don't want you to miss it. Knowing God's will is less about having 20-20 vision than it is about having excellent hearing that is tuned in 
to the Lord's voice. The problem oftentimes is our radios go silent or they get broken or the batteries are dead and we're not necessarily tuned in. And I don't mean to make too much of this, but frankly, some of us, the reason we get so uptight in these fork-in-the-road moments, like, I'm supposed to go over here or go over here, it's not just because of the enormity of the moment, but because on a day-by-day or week-by-week or month-by-month basis, we've not actually been in the practice of listening. I am not slavishly dogmatic about, well, you need to have 15 minutes, 30 minutes of quiet time every day, and if you don't read through the book of Deuteronomy every year, something's wrong with you. (laughs) Okay, come on now. Deuteronomy's tough, okay? I don't make all these little silly rules, okay, on how you're really supposed to do everything. They're not in the Bible. But I will tell you what's in the Bible in terms of quiet times. You need to get quiet before the Lord. You ought to be listening throughout the day. Maybe it's a good idea to start off listening in the morning, and sometimes there are these moments where you just need to be listening, period. That's the point of retreats. That's the point of the quiet time is to listen. And the reason some of us get into these moments where we're so anxious and we're looking for the signs and all the rest is because we haven't in a patterned way just been listening to God because I can guarantee you this, when you're a follower, he's speaking. If you're a follower, he guides. The good shepherd does go before you speaking and singing and you just follow. It's not about 20-20 vision. It's not about some kind of trick on how to locate the needle in the haystack. It's just having the incredible hearing of those big-eared sheep. How many of y'all do ever watch football, professional football? I don't think they do this in college, okay? Okay. How many of you are pulling for the Cowboys this afternoon? I'm just kind of curious. How many of you are pulling for the Cowboys, but you think they have no real hope? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, thanks, thanks for your honesty. I don't know, but here's what, here's what I know is going to happen today. I think 530 or thereabouts when they play against the San Francisco 49ers. You're going to see Dak Prescott at certain moments. You can put his face up there and you're going to see him with this far away look in his eye. And it's not because he was mildly concussed on the previous play. He's not thinking about going to Disneyland. I don't even think he's wondering, am I going to have to kick extra points this game or not he might be wondering that he might be wondering is the coach going to make me because the last game the kicker missed four in a row but i I digress pray for dallas anyways there are going to be moments where where between plays he's going to have this faraway look in his eye and and you know what's going on he's getting the play for the next series he's getting the he's getting the play call for the very next play when he goes to huddle and he tells all of his offensive players, you know, reverse flea flicker to the left, nobody in the huddle goes, how did you, how'd you come up with that? They all know. Here's how it happens. There's a speaker system in his helmet. There's a, there's a guy, we'll just call him the man upstairs. And he calls the play and it goes down to Zach, to, to Dak Prescott's uh, headset in his, in his helmet. Dak never wonders what's going to happen next. Well, he might be wondering, but he doesn't wonder that long because when he needs to know what he needs to do next, the man upstairs, the offensive coordinator that's way up in this booth, calls the play and it comes down to his helmet. Let me tell you what the offensive coordinator never does. He never tells Dak Prescott before the game 
Okay, here's how we're going to do it. When it's time for your next play, I want you to look all over the stands of AT&T Stadium. And there's going to be somebody that's going to be sending you the signals. You need to find the signal and then interpret the signal. And then you're going to know what comes next. So the play's the play's over. Dak has this faraway look, but the reason he has a faraway look is he is scanning the 100,000 people in AT&T Stadium, and he is thinking, who's got the signal? And he sees this guy, you know, moving past. He's like, oh, and he thinks, well, maybe that's a signal. No, he's just moving by, by the, you know, the 350-pound guy without a shirt on. And he's like, oh, that's gross. And uh, or, or maybe he sees somebody going like that, and it's because they spilled beer all over their lap. And, and maybe he sees somebody doing this. It's like, no, no, that guy's just signaling for the peanuts. And, and he just looks at all, these, all this movement. He can't find the guy. He can't interpret the signal. And he says, time out. I, I, can't, I don't know what to do next. Is that Dak Prescott's fault? No! It's not his fault. Because whoever the offensive coordinator is should have been a whole lot more clear about what the next play was going to be. It's not about finding the signal and then interpreting the signal or reading license plates backwards or whatever the crazy things people do. It's just about listening. Now, there are moments where in the game you might see Dak doing this because he's trying to block out sound. And, and that's kind of like, you know, there's your, as best I can, a quiet time in the midst of noise so I can hear a little bit better. In fact, I think we've got, if you can go to the end, I think we've got some pictures of uh, Aaron Rodgers. You got that? Now, you can see in one of those, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have an ear hole. Because sometimes in the way games are so loud, just like he chooses not to have ear holes so that you can hear the signal all the more clearly. Same thing with Tom Brady. Uh, I think he might need to fix his listening. Anyways, uh, you, it's all about what's going on in the helmet. It's the waiting between plays. And all they want to do is win the game. All they want to do is lead the team down the field. And, of course, the offensive coordinator, the man upstairs, is going to make sure the quarterback gets the next play when it's time for the next play. You think God's any different? No. You don't have to find his will. You just have to follow, and he'll give you what it is that you need when you're a follower. Now, again, people do such such weird things with all this stuff, and we'll talk about signs and all these other things at another date. Because, again, we're just on the foundation. We're not on the sticks. We're not talking about the roof. There's there's more to come, okay? But sometimes it gets a little bit weird. When I was in when I was in South Texas, there was a lady that would come to the, the church where I pastored, Christ Harbor Church. It was in Laguna Vista on the opposite side of the bay from South Padre. But she would go to... She would go to Christ Harbor Church, and she went to two churches that were on the island. And the good thing about going to three different churches is you could disregard the other two pastors if they told you something you didn't like. And so if you start going to three churches at the same time, your life will get so much easier. You can just pick and choose what you want to listen to at any given moment. It's fantastic. But that's kind of what was happening with her. She would go to this church and this church and this church. But there was one church where she went where her husband would go. It was the church where I pastored. And she said, you know, I just don't know where the Lord wants me to go. And I was thinking, if I have to explain it to you, I can't explain it to you. Your husband doesn't go to this church. He doesn't go to this, but he goes here. Maybe that's what you need to know. Of course, she didn't receive that well. And uh, so she went to another pastor, and the pastor said, well, you know, you just need to pray for a sign. I was like, okay. So she started praying for a sign. I kid you not. The next day after she started praying for a sign... The bridge between the mainland and, and the island was destroyed. 
a barge ran into the bridge and knocked out a couple of sections. And that night, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, that night some cars actually drove off the bridge down into the water like 70 feet below. Several people, about a half dozen people died. Now, the lady happened to be on the mainland side, and I saw her the next Sunday. She said, well, God gave me my sign. It's like, you know, I don't know that local or national tragedies were designed by God to tell you to go to the church where your husband would go. It gets weird. I I have a friend, a, a family member. I will leave this person nameless because it's kind of embarrassing, but we'll just say her name was Dana Wilson, okay? And uh, Dana was like, oh, you know, I, I just, I'm praying to God if he can tell me whether or not I need to go to grad school to get a master's degree in accounting. And so she was driving down the highway and she saw a sign, DW, you can't afford it. She said, I just knew at that moment, God told me, Dana Wilson, you can't afford to go to grad school. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. I think you missed the I. D-W-I, you can't afford it. Those signs were there to say driving while intoxicated is going to cost you a whole lot more than you know. Like, okay, let's, let's get weird. People will read the Bible backwards, equidestant letter sequencing while trying to figure out what's the mystery. And the whole time I'm thinking, you really think God wants to withhold his will from you. So you got to search for it, reading your Bible backwards. What? Wait, no, no, absolutely not. Now we'll talk about all the, we'll talk about signs and confirmations and all these things at a later date. But every once in a while I'll run across somebody that's like, you're not really wanting to follow God because you know his revealed will and you're not doing it already. You don't, don't think that you're in a position where you're not. Hearing from the Lord is all about being in the right position and the right position is being a follower. The right position is being a sheep behind the shepherd. You say, well, I, you know, I don't really, you know, Ten Commandments, meh. God is my advisor, meh. Counselor, yeah. But, you know, I just have a peace about stealing from the company. Like, okay, you might have a peace that passes all understanding or whatever. That's just because your heart is hard and your conscience is seared. You better be a follower before you'll ever have any confidence that anything that you ever hear is even remotely close to the target. Follow, you don't find. You follow, he makes it plain. And you say, well, okay, well, if I want to follow him in order to know his will, first of all, Ernest, why? Why would I want to do that? Why do I even care about knowing God's will? Here's why. Because he loves you more than you love yourself. His agenda for your life is better than your own. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. And I, I guess if you really don't believe any of that stuff, you shouldn't care about what God wants for you. But if you really do believe he loves you more than, he loved, than you love yourself, if you really do believe that he's wiser than you are, then absolutely you should want to know his will. Okay, well, how do I know his will? Here, here's, you need to become a follower. So, well, if, if following leads to knowing God's will, what's the first thing that you need to do? Become a follower. It's not that complicated. Here's how it's put over in the book of Ephesians. Even before the foundation of the world, even before this world came into being, God had a plan for you and for me. That was to come in and fellowship with him. Here's how it's put over in the book of Ephesians. For he chose us, that is his people, the church. He chose us in him 
He chose us and him in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What's his will for your life? That you be holy and blameless in his sight. It's that simple. Well, how do I become holy and blameless in his sight? Do I do it by walking, by following, and at a certain point I get good at it enough and he calls me a follower and I'm holy and blameless in his sight? No, you don't do it that way. you got to get adopted. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't read, according to his good pleasure, he chose which people in particular were going to be part of us in him before the foundation of the world. What it is saying is God's got an agenda for your life. It's for you to come into the family. He was so interested in you coming into the family that he sent his son to live the life you should live, die the death you should have died. He was the firstborn son among many. And this one, who was actually the fully only begotten son of God, gave up his life so that you could be adopted. I don't know any natural children that are going to give up their place so as to bring in the high-maintenance adopted kids. That's what God did for you. That's what God did for me. And this is all according to his good pleasure. Now, the good thing about being adopted or coming into the family, becoming a follower, is, is you don't have to do anything in order to become a follower. You just simply accept what it is that he's done for you. And this is the thing that undoes me every time. Because here's how the, the rest of the world works. And you see this in all kinds of different movies. You just make a decision, cowboy up, start moving in this direction. And then at a certain point, if you get tough enough, you're good enough, you've lasted long enough... You make the cut and you're on the team. You go from trying to be a follower and we just call you a follower because you succeeded well enough and you made the cut. For Christians, you become a follower by doing nothing. It's like, what? How could I be a follower by doing nothing? We tend to think religiously, I'm walking over here towards Jesus, but here's how it works. Jesus goes all the way to you. Yeah, you do meet him at the foot of the cross, but here's how it works. Jesus walks the entirety of the path all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And where you start as a follower is by accepting that Jesus walked the entire path in perfection for you. It, you being a follower starts by you doing nothing. Now, I can follow a Lord like that. And I, if I think that the true Almighty God gave up His place, lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, so that I would get all of what He had because He loves me more than I love myself and His plan for my life is perfect, okay, what is wrong with me that I wouldn't want to follow Him? I can tell you what's wrong with me. I've just lost my ever-loving mind. Because if you're seeing things rightly, of course you want to follow, especially when becoming a follower requires nothing of you. But when you are adopted in the family, when you do receive him, and when you are find, found blameless in his sight because of the blood that he poured out over you, well, well, then, of course, you start walking the path that he already walked for you. And then there's joy and there's fullness because you know you're going to know whatever it is that you need to know at any point because he's the perfect shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Do you want to know God's will? You ought to know it. You ought to want that. How do you know it? Follow him. How do you follow him? You become a follower. How do you become a follower? You receive Christ. It's not that complicated. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's super simple. It's laid out for us in the book of John. In John chapter 1 verse 9 it says, To all who believed in him, to to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of husband's will, but, but born of God. You want to become a child of God? You want to know Him? You want to follow Him? You want to know His will? You want to rest in the confidence that your life is being maximized for something that matters of eternal consequence and significance? 
Here's what you do. Receive Jesus. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, I do, I, I do want to be in on God's plan for my life. And I know I don't have to know everything all the time. And, and I know God's not holding out on me. He didn't even withhold His only begotten Son from me. Of course, He's going to let me know what I need to know when I need to know it. And I know He wants me to succeed. I know He wants what's best for me. And there's a big difference between what's best and what's good enough. And I don't want just what's good enough or what's okay. I want the very best that God has for me. And if God gave me His Son, well, that's an indication that whatever comes next, whatever He wants for me is going to be the best. So you want in on God's best for you. You want to want to know His will and be in His will. Here's your moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just want to say to God, God, I know that I've sinned. And it wasn't just that I did the wrong things. I was foolish. I thought that I was in control. I, I was a fool because I just want to live life my own way and do my own thing and follow my own will, not yours. And so, God, I just confess that I've been... I've not just done wrong things. I've been wrong toward you. And, and God, I want to be a follower, and I know that just begins with me receiving what you've done for me. Before I even take a step, I can just receive all the steps that Jesus took for me. He stepped into this world. He walked down a, a path of life, never getting off the straight and narrow. He lived a life of perfection and action, attitude, thought and indeed and he walked all the way to this place called Mount Calvary where he died on the cross he walked all the way to the point of death separation even from you he walked through hell for me God I know that and I know that eventually he walked right out of the grave he came the whole distance and even before I take a step all I need to do is receive what he has done for me. God, I know he lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died so that I could be adopted, I could come into your family, I could, I could know and live in your good, perfect will for my life. So God, right now I want to become a follower by receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I turn from my sin and selfishness and I turn to Jesus and trust in him and in him alone for who he is and what he's done for me. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. And now, God, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow you, the good shepherd, a leader like no other. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you pray that prayer, I want to encourage